Hello and welcome back to the, from the show floor of the Energy Exports Conference here in Aberdeen. And I'm delighted to be joined by Stuart Broadley, the Chief Executive of the Energy Industries Council. Stuart, this is your baby, isn't it? Uh, it's been quite an exciting uh, exciting day so far anyway. Yeah, so yep, you're the first time we ran this event was 2019. Uh, and it was very well attended. I think now we must have at least double the attendance to then and I'm, we're absolutely delighted with it. So we've got 1,800 registered attendees, 251 to one meetings, which is really driven particularly by the business to business meetings with Aramco. We've got 48 exhibitors, uh, 80 speakers. Um, and of course, the whole concept of the Energy Exports Conference is twofold. Firstly, we know that companies have many choices when they consider how to grow their business. The idea of growing using new exports as their primary strategy is not so popular these days. They find that there are quicker, easier ways with lower risk to grow using innovation, using diversification, going digital and so on. So this event's number one objective is to make it more convenient for companies to learn about export opportunities all over the world and kind of kickstart them where they otherwise wouldn't to say, okay, I have to look at these new markets. That's why we bring in inward delegations, international delegations from all over the world to help them meet people that they otherwise would not meet. The second objective is to then showcase the UK's and particularly Scotland's amazing energy supply chain uh, and to really show off to the world that we have a supply chain that's not just got amazing heritage in oil and gas, but is also the driver for a successful transition. Maybe to start with that exports piece uh, then, Stuart, I mean, we heard from the plenary this morning, Aramco, 50 billion in CapEx in 2023, asking I companies here to... I think 70 billion. Was it 70? Excuse I think, me. Yeah, or it's, I mean, maybe it's 70 projects right. and 50 billion, you're probably right. But what it is, it's record capital investment this year compared to any previous year. And it's they're asking incredible. firms here to get involved. Yeah, so they come here first. Uh, so I think, firstly, I would say that, that there's always been a strong relationship between, you know, between the kingdom and between, you know, the United Kingdom and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Uh, secondly, I think there is a strong trading relationship which has been built over the decades. And as the CEO of Aramco was saying, they've been working now for 70 years in the UK, in UK and Europe. So they really understand our culture and our way into business and our capability. But thirdly, they're so busy now. They have so much call and demand on the supply chain that they know they have to come out here and work hard to actually make sure that the supply chain is aware of their needs uh, and wants to be first in the queue working with Aramco Europe. Kind of touches on one of the points you made in the plenary there is there is so much going on, not just in the UK, internationally, the supply chain is finite. Just talk to me, where do you see the pressures there and what might be done to help address what, what is clearly going to be a bit of a supply chain crunch? Yeah, I mean, so everybody seems to talk about right now there is already a skill shortage, particularly a technical skills shortage across the whole energy supply chain. I would say companies are still largely able to execute their business, even though they would say it's harder, they're having to be more creative. So the skill shortage is close to affecting business in a negative way, but not yet. Obviously, that's a general rule. There'll be some companies where it's already affecting, but largely with the skill base and the quantity of people and their skill sets, it's just okay at the level of work there is. The issue is when you listen to people, they're all expecting the logjam of mega projects to break and all the big projects that have been held back for years, actually, maybe decades. It looks like with this sustained level of demand around the world, particularly for oil and gas, those projects are gonna go. When they go, I think then everybody accepts 
there just won't be enough supply chain capacity and enough skill-based capacity to do all that work. So therefore you are getting companies working hard now to position themselves as early as they can to say, work with us. We're the customer choice, the employer of choice. Our projects are the best projects. Uh, it's fascinating, isn't it, that it's become now a market which is a bit more healthy balance between the customer and the supplier. So firstly, yes, good news for the supply chain in terms of pricing. Second point, I suppose we're talking about a global exports conference, but we're consistently told, and you talked about Scotland on your plenary panel there, we're going to need all the supply chain we've kind of got here in the UK anyway. Yep. So not to question the premise of the conference or anything, but should we be looking globally when we have so much activity right here on our shores, or, or is it about capturing both of those pieces? Well, uh, there's so many things I could say about that. <laughs> yeah. uh, firstly, okay, so the uh, fastest growing, healthiest, best paying, most profitable companies are exporting companies. So companies that feel like I can just survive domestically are losing out on all that opportunity to grow faster and make more money and pay their staff more. Secondly, it's super dangerous, don't you think, to just say we're going to go domestic, uh, when we all know, don't we, that domestic policies change and there are headwinds that are getting in the way of some of the projects that fantastic ambition in the UK and, you know, and in Europe and in Scotland, sorry, but there are still things that could get in the way and are getting in the way, to be honest, of those projects happening quickly enough happening quickly enough to achieve our net zero targets, happening quickly enough to achieve the ambition of policymakers, and happening quickly enough to actually feed the supply chain right now today. So any supply chain company, and this is the advice I'm giving to supply chain companies, our members and others is, don't just wait for the promise of jam tomorrow, which a lot of this kind of energy transition language is. It's all exciting and it's coming tomorrow sometime. There's so much opportunity now, but a lot of it is around the world. And a lot of it may not be quite as energy transition based as we'd hoped through all of the ambition that's been set, particularly at the back of COP26. That will come, but it's not coming fast enough. But there's huge opportunity in core energy work now, and companies need to pursue that. The missing opportunities otherwise. Yeah, diversification is key then. One of the points that uh, I also want to pick, up, pick you up on from the plenary, very quite candid discussion, I would say, regarding net zero 2050, you said, uh, that many of the people that you speak to in rooms like this would, would argue that we're, we're looking unlikely to hit that unless something changes. Can you just talk about that and, and what do you see as a requirement yeah, for change? Yeah, I mean, actually, I was much clearer than that. It's not a case of unlikely. Uh, there's a groundswell of opinion, which is just not yet reflected by energy ministers, that we will not hit our interim or our 2045 for Scotland, 2050, for UK binding net, 50, net zero targets. We will not. If you just look at all of the barriers that are in the way of all of the key projects that are required for those things to happen, whether it's lack of grid capacity or flexibility, whether it's lack of storage solutions, whether it's supply chain issues, lack of profitability in the renewable sector, whether it's skill shortage, whether it's the rebirth of the oil and gas industry on the back of energy security and the Russian invasion into Ukraine, and many other factors. What it means is that we're losing probably at least a decade in terms of what had hoped to be 2045, 2050 net zero achievements. So what, what we're saying is much clearer than that now. And this is the groundswell of opinion from almost anybody you speak to, not just a few people who are sort of worried about it. Almost everybody would now say they do not believe we will or can achieve our net zero commitments. So I think that's something I'm very surprised actually because everybody I speak to says that and believes that wholeheartedly. 
and yet it's not yet talked about sort of outwardly, kind of by, by the ministers. It's actually not talked about much at the press. And I don't know why, because it's not a secret. Everybody thinks that. So I do think it's about time that we have the adult discussion about if we all now accept that those targets are not going to be achieved, and even if we now said, oh, we need a course correction to try and change it, it's not going to be enough to achieve those targets, then we need to talk about that. And we need to reflect on how do we let that happen and what yeah. are we going to do next? Where does the onus lie to get something changed there? You said, you talked a bit about, well, if, if net zero is on anyone, it's kind of on the energy industry, I suppose. But clearly policymakers have a role there as well. Where are some of the key areas we might look to? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it's everybody, right? So all of us. And, and this is why I feel like my role now is to be the voice of this problem because nobody's talking about it to kickstart the discussion and then to kickstart the reaction to it, which is, oh God, how did we let that happen? Now we have to act. We need a bit of a crisis moment to accept that this is serious and we're really missing this target. So we're sleepwalking into it. So we need to talk about it and get on with it. But it's all of us, so certainly policymakers, of course, who need to go faster. But also industry, I would say all of us as industry leaders have to reflect on, we all have a responsibility to do our best to balance growing our business, taking advantage of opportunities when they come, but also doing whatever we can to move us step by step towards this next era journey. One of the things that I'm finding it's, it makes it, the reason that it's confusing to people is, whenever you speak to one company, they would say, well, I like carbon capture and I'm pursuing that. And it's, you know, it's this step and this step. And it feels like, okay, well, they have a plan. Then you talk to another company, I like hydrogen, maybe green hydrogen. Another one, I like offshore wind. It's very hard for us to find someone that can just pull it all together and say, well, what does this all mean if you put it all together? But if you put a big room full of people together like this, and you get the overall opinion, it's a single voice, which is, we're well, not going to get there. We already know we're not going to get there. And so now we have to get everybody in a room, policymakers, industry leaders, academics, thought leaders, and I would say people in the COP process, because COP28 is only five or six months away, and have a serious discussion about we've got to stop rolling out the same rhetoric, which is, well, if we just accelerate, we'll get there. Uh, I can tell you the groundswell of opinion is nobody believes that anymore. I feel like we could keep talking forever, Stuart, but I think we'll leave that for now. So yeah. that's us for this stage of the Energy Exports Conference, but keep an ear out for more from us throughout the day. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.